following sermon podcast is a glimpse into the community of Central Bible Church, where we strive to welcome everyone into Jesus' life. We hope that you can join us for this Sunday service as we gather together seeking to live in and for Christ. continue in that today with Psalm 92, if you want to turn there. And you'll notice that sometimes there's a little note at the beginning of your psalm that either tells you who it's written by or maybe when it is to be read or what it's about. And this one has a note saying that it is a psalm or a song for the Sabbath. And I'm going to teach you guys a little bit of Hebrew this morning. Sabbath in Hebrew is Shabbat. Can you say Shabbat? Shabbat. There you go. You guys are great. You're on your way. Um, So this song, this psalm is to be read on Shabbat. It is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to your name, O Most High, to declare your steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness by night, to the music of the lute and the harp, to the melody of the lyre. For you, O Lord, have made me glad by your work. At the works of your hands I sing for joy. How great are your works, O Lord. Your thoughts are very deep. The senseless man cannot know, the fool cannot understand this, that though the wicked sprout like grass and all evildoers flourish, they are doomed to destruction forever. But you, O Lord, are on high forever. For behold, your enemies, O Lord, for behold, your enemies shall perish. All evildoers shall be scattered. But you have exalted my horn. Like that of the wild ox, you have poured over me fresh oil. My eyes have seen the downfall of my enemies. My ears have heard the doom of my evil assailants. The righteous flourish like the palm tree and grow like a cedar in Lebanon. They are planted in the house of the Lord, and they flourish in the courts of our God. They still bear fruit in old age. They are ever full of sap and green to declare that the Lord is upright. He is my rock, and there is no unrighteousness in him. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Good morning. How's everyone doing this morning? Awesome. So this is our our last message in this uh, series of in the Psalms as we look at. Right, the, this idea of the Psalms before the dawn, seeing the, the reality of, the, of the, the messiness of our emotions and seeing that we can express our emotions to God in the honesty of where they're at, right? We don't have to put on a, a show for God. 
Um, and the book of Psalms goes through these waves and these ups and downs that, that we go through in life. Um, and, and so we've touched on anger and we've touched on lament or doubt and, um, and just all these, and these different themes and unity and, and brotherhood. And, and, and so it goes up and down and then it, it ends on a high point of praise. In fact, the last six Psalms in the book of Psalms, it all begin, they all begin and end with praise the Lord or hallelujah, right? That it's, it's the direction that the whole book is going, and it's the direction that all of history is going, right? And, and so it ends with these words, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. And we know from the New Testament that in the end, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. That's the climax of history. It's the climax of the Psalms. So that's what we look out at. But we live today, right? And so we're not always there. That's not where our heart is all the time. And so we, we chose, and I, I processed through, how do, how do we end this series? And so we're, we're ending on Psalm 92, which is a psalm of thanksgiving. And it, it centers around praise and so it pulls us forward to that future reality, but it comes right in the thick of it, right? So it's in the middle of the book of Psalms, in the midst of the ups and downs. In fact, Psalm 92 follows Psalm 88 and Psalm 89, which are the absolute rock bottom low point of the book of Psalms. And, and so this Psalm kind of answers that, and it speaks about what does thankfulness and, and joy and praise look like in the midst of still being in the thick of it. And so what we're going to see here, we're going to focus on the theme of praise, is that praise proclaims truth about God that our hearts may not yet feel and our eyes may not yet see. And we're going to see that praise brings the songs of heaven to the noise of earth. Okay, and as, as we, uh, we sing praise, we see that it's not just a ritual that we do at church. It's not just a duty of something that we perform because we ought to. But we'll actually see that, that it's, it's a part of the health and vitality of what it means to be a follower of Christ. And so these are our, our four kind of points we'll look at, is that praise cultivates joy, praise combats lies, Praise prophesies victory, and finally, praise perseveres faith. That's what we'll be going through this psalm, Psalm 92. But since we already started a Hebrew lesson uh, with Mackenzie, I want to do a quick just kind of note on Hebrew poetry, because it's something that isn't used in English poetry, but it's all over the Bible, and you're going to see it in this psalm, and I think we can be too quick to misinterpret what we're reading in the scriptures if we don't understand this simple concept, okay? So Hebrew poetry primarily uses parallelism and its idea of rhyming ideas, okay? In English poetry, we far more often use the rhyming of words, right? So if I say, that's it, no more rhyming, I mean it, and you respond, anybody want a peanut, right? You've just made a rhyme. 
and you've quoted one of the greatest movies of all time. Okay? So parallelism in Hebrew poetry is similar but different. It doesn't rhyme the sounds of the word, right? It rhymes the meaning of the words. And this is rad about Hebrew poetry. You know, if you translate from one language to another word rhymes, Hebrew poetry also has word sound rhymes. But you don't see them in the New Testament, do you? Or, I mean, in the Psalms throughout the Bible. You don't see those rhymes because we're not reading it in Hebrew. We're reading it in English. But word rhymes, sorry, the, the meaning rhymes, the parallelism we see. And so keep an eye out for that and see how in these couplets of this psalm, back and forth, we're going to rhyme these ideas. So let's start with that first point. Praise cultivates joy. Psalm 92, verse 1, it says, It is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to your name, O Most High, to declare your steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness by night, to the music of the lute and the harp, to the melody of the lyre. For you, O Lord, have made me glad by your work. At the works of your hands I sing for joy. Praise cultivates joy. You see that in that first uh, verse. It is good to give thanks to the Lord. Now the Hebrew word for good, right? It communicates the same general idea that the English word for good communicates, right? Anything can be good. It applies to many things. But it doesn't communicate the enthusiasm of the Hebrew idea. You can also translate this word beautiful or delightful, joyful or pleasant. So praise is not just good, it is joyful. And the psalmist appeals to the delight and goodness of praising God and and he invites us to join him in the joy that he has in singing praise to God. And so we see here in this, this first section of the psalm is that joy is an essential part of praise. Get this. God is not indifferent to how we feel about him. And we should not be either. Praise expresses joy and declares the covenant faithfulness of God. We see that, right? He declares the steadfast love in the morning and God's faithfulness in the evening. Right? And it considers his works. I sing for joy at the, the work of your hand. Here's this overflow, this climactic expression of joy in God. But we're not always there, right? That's not always where praise starts. In fact, it rarely is, right? Praise doesn't start there. Often our hearts are dull or even our minds are distracted. Some of us, even by nature, are more stoic, Maybe you were raised in a home where you didn't see emotions expressed in healthy ways, and you get uncomfortable talking about emotion in worship. So, now for me, there are some areas in my life where I feel my emotions are, are healthy and I'm very in tune, right, to my emotions. Other areas where maybe they're more raw, um, and other areas where maybe they're more bottled up. Now, I've I'm, I'm kind of been the guy that when you ask me, how are you doing? And I take that seriously, like, like really like, like, what is the state of your soul? How am I doing? And I step back, and I'm like a deer in the headlights, like, yeah, how am I doing? Right? And I have this moment of introspection of like, 
what am I feeling? Like, what's going on inside? Like, some, some of us guys, we have a really hard time with that, right? Our wife asks us, how are you feeling about this? We're just like, I don't know how I feel. Like, give me a day and I'll let you know, right? Um, I'm going to show you this great chart that I found. Um, this is a, a, a chart of emotion, okay? So this is a true story. This last summer, I was at a, a prayer conference, and, and there was a really artistically gifted, um, very emotive worship leader that was helping lead us through poetry writing and finding ways to express our feelings to God. And so we were supposed to know, okay, how are you feeling right now? And I'm like, mm, how am I feeling? Google, like emotion chart. There it is. How am I feeling? And I'm like, mm, okay, so there's joy up there, right? You see it, sadness down there. There's like anger or rage over there. There's fear on that side and then everything in between. And I'm like, mm, uh, am I vigilant? Am I optimism? That's it. Or trust. I'm, okay, I'm feeling optimism. That's my emotion, right? I, I can kind of like rest on something. And, right, some of us need help feeling our emotions. Okay, you can, you can put that down. And some of us, right, we have stopped feeling things a long time ago. We have stopped having deep feelings about God years ago. And perhaps we've been content to just do our duty, to do the right thing because it's the right thing, right? We may be faithful in our marriages, we're faithful to our church, but maybe we can't remember the last time that we wept over our sin or the last time we were genuinely amazed and jubilant at the joy of the gospel and our first love of the Lord. Or we haven't remembered the last time that we longed for our neighbors to meet Christ. Now me, I'm wired for productivity. I'm ready to get things done, and when things get hard, I work harder and longer, and my mind runs when I get in this mode at a high RPM, right? Just going fast. And in those times, like I do my duty, I stop and pray, right? Or I, or I, I stop in the morning and I, and I try to read my Bible, and, and you know what? My mind's still going. And this is a psalm of the Sabbath, right? This is a, that's, that's the time to stop and rest. And God put that in the rhythms of his people. To praise God was, was in the posture of rest. And we come to God in worship and praise, right? We come with open hands, not bringing our good works, not bringing our dutiful obedience and everything we got done. We just come empty, right? To receive. And if my heart is not at rest, and I don't stop long enough to consider, like stop thinking about the work of my hands, right? Long enough to consider the work of his hands. I won't have joy. And if I don't stop to meditate on his great love and faithfulness for me, I won't have joy in worship. In fact, there's going to be, I might be kind of indifferent. My emotions are going to be tossed to and fro just with whatever's happening in life. I don't have that ballast, that foundation that keeps me rooted. That brings us back to the main point here. Praise cultivates joy. Notice that word, cultivates. If you have planted a garden or even planted a tree, you know it takes time. 
You know, you got to prepare the soil, right? You have to plant it and then water it and protect it and help it to grow. The soil of our hearts can take a long time to prepare and to break up that hard ground. And you know what? The joy of the Lord can be a seed that God has planted in your heart that takes years to bloom. But hear this. The joy in praise and worship and the joy in the Holy Spirit that God gives is a gift that he gives to all his children. I believe it's one of the gifts of our salvation, joy in the Holy Spirit. And I believe that he wants it to blossom in our hearts and in our church. So how might God do this? How might he blossom that? How might we cultivate that joy in our praise? We're going to look at the words of of C.S. Lewis, because I think he gets it exactly right. He's going to help us process the connection between praise and joy. In his book, Reflections on the Psalms, he talks about the problem that he had as as a non-believer wrestling through this issue of worship and praise in the Bible. And he said it felt like, right, that, that God was like this old, cranky person seeking compliments, right? We despise those people that are always trying to get compliments and are always wanting reminders of their own virtue. We don't like spending time with those kind of people, right? Is God so insecure that we have to remind him all the time how great he is, right? If he inspired the Psalms, and the Psalms say, praise the Lord, is he just like, come on, praise me, praise me, praise me. So Lewis said he, as he thought about this, he's like, I don't get this. He struggled with it. Now, uh, put up the quote. This is him in the Reflections on the Psalms. He says this as he reflected on it more. He says, but the most obvious fact about praise, whether of God or anything, strangely escaped me. I thought of it in terms of compliment, approval, or giving of honor. I had never noticed that all enjoyment spontaneously overflows into praise. The world rings with praise. Lovers praising their mistresses. Readers their favorite poet. Walkers praising the countryside. Players praising their favorite game. Praise almost seems to be inner health made audible. I had not noticed either that just as men spontaneously praise whatever they value, so they spontaneously urge us to join them in praising it. Isn't she lovely? Wasn't it glorious? Don't you think that magnificent? The psalmists, in telling everyone to praise God, are doing what all men do when they speak of what they care about. My whole more general difficulty about the praise of God depended on my absurdly denying to us as regards the supremely valuable, right? As regards the God, what we delight to do, what indeed we can't help doing about everything else we value. I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses but completes the enjoyment. It is its appointed consummation. It is not out of compliment that lovers keep on telling one another how beautiful they are. The delight is incomplete until it is expressed. You hear that? That's what praise is about. That's why we gather in praise. That's why we, we go to God 
in our, in our prayer closets and praise him for who he is. Praise cultivates joy in our heart. It expresses it and brings it to that consummation, right? And it, it turns us from praising ourselves and it brings us to the place of calling to mind the character of God and the works of God and what he has done in our lives. Did you notice that line in the middle? It's, it struck me very deeply. It says, praise is inner health made audible. What does that mean? Praise is inner health made audible. I think he's getting at is that the sick soul the emotionally unhealthy soul is consumed with self, right? But joy and emotional health come as we look outside ourselves to the greatness of God. Right? So my question for us is, are we emotionally healthy this morning? Do the praises of God and God's works fill our conversations? Do we receive the good things of God with thankfulness? Do we see the evidences of grace in God, of God in those around us? Right? Are, we, are we full of thankfulness for the little things that God gives? Or are we just really critical people? Are we self-consumed? And are we always finding the problems, the way that things are not how they ought to be and how they should be and how we think would be best? To be emotionally healthy would be to be a community that's, that's known by our affirmation of the good that we see in one another. And then that's directed to God, right? I, have, I see God's grace in you. That's a praise of God and an affirmation of those around us. Now, before we get to the, the second point, I gotta stop and mention the idea of music because the worship leaders and the musicians in the room would, would not want me to miss this. It says this, his praise is not just the content, right, of God's character and his works, but is done in a certain way. Verse three, to the music of the lute and the harp, to the melody of the lyre. There is music involved in praise, right? Praise inevitably overflows in music. So why is that? Just why, why is music always connected to praise. Why do we sing every Sunday? Right? I think there's two things at least of how music stirs up our joy and cultivates our joy in God. First, it stirs our emotion. Sorry, it stirs our imagination. We know by experience that the images, sounds, and even narratives of songs have powerful force to shape our souls. And sometimes, right, the lyrics in a song will name an experience that we all know, but we never had the words to express. You know what that's like? When you hear that song, you're like, that's it. That's what I was feeling. That's what I needed to hear. And, and those lyrics bring us to the point of being able to express. It's not our own words. Someone else spoke it. But it's like, that's what I needed to say to God. That's, that's what I needed to hear from him. And these songs are forceful in the way that they can give us a new way of thinking, a new way of praying, or even a new way of living. 
That's the first way I think music shapes us. The second way is that music shapes the affections of our souls. It gives us emotional content to the lyrics, right? It interprets them for us, right? Each of the music, music's building blocks have power and force. There's melody, there's rhythm, there's harmony. And if you have really poor music, right, it can trivialize and make kind of empty and hollow powerful lyrics. And then well-crafted music can make even bad lyrics tolerable. <laughs> um, John Calvin was, once wrote that singing has great strength and power to move and to set our hearts on fire in order that we may call on God and praise him with a more vehement and more ardent zeal. Right? He wasn't a charismatic. We're talking John, I'm quoting John Calvin saying, we need to be emotional in our worship. Okay? And just a final exhortation to our worship leaders. Thank you. First, a thankfulness. Thank you for leading us in song. Thank you for bringing us to that place of worship. Let's, let's be known by our worship, our worshiping people. Let's, let's do the hard work that it takes to write new songs, to express new prayers to God. And let's do the hard work and to help us carry on the rich musical legacy of past generations, to breathe new life into those old songs. And, it's a, and then a final exhortation. This Friday is going to be a time of worship and prayer as a church. Come. If you haven't been to any of them this season, please come and join us in the evening. We're going to pray and seek God together in worship. So praise cultivates joy. Second, praise combats lies. Look at verse 5 through 9. How great are your works, O Lord! Your thoughts are very deep. The senseless man cannot know. The fool cannot understand this. That though the wicked sprout like grass and all evildoers flourish, they are doomed to destruction forever. But you, O Lord, are on high forever. For behold, your enemies, O Lord, for behold, your enemies shall perish. All evildoers shall be scattered. So here we see that this foolish man, this senseless man, he sprouts up quickly and then is destroyed in the end. And as we look at how praise combat lies. I want us to focus on those two verses, five and six. And what you see is that this senseless man, he does not understand the greatness of God's works. And there's a spiritual battle that goes on every day over whether we will receive what God gives us, the gifts he gives, whether we'll receive them with thankfulness and walk in contentment or whether we will be controlled by bitterness at what we don't have, envy at what other people have, or greed because we want more of what we already have. There's a spiritual battle that goes on in our hearts of whether we will receive God's good gifts and say they are great, or whether we will, we will be like the senseless man and not see it and not understand it. And only thankfulness for what God has given and praise for his works can combat the enemy and his lies in our heart. And here's why thankfulness isn't just something that we ought to do and focus on for, right, 
one holiday a year. We have Thanksgiving. But thankfulness is actually one of our primary weapons of spiritual warfare. Thankfulness is a weapon of spiritual warfare because one of the primary lies that Satan uses against us is to believe that what God says is good is not really good. And when we agree with Satan, right, when we say, yeah, you know what? This isn't good. This is a bad thing. Why is this happening to me? Why do I have this in my life? And it's something that God says is good. When we agree with Satan that it's bad, we're giving the enemy a foothold in that area in our lives. Listen to this connection uh, where we see in 1 Timothy 4, 1 through 3, it connects this idea of spiritual warfare, the lies of the enemy, and the role of thankfulness for God's good gifts. You can put up that slide. 1 Timothy 4, in verse 1, it, it starts, Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. Now here's what they do. Here's what the, the, the teachings of these demons are. They forbid marriage and they require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thankfulness by those who believe and know the truth. There was this legalism that crept into the church and there were these things that God said, these are good gifts. And the demonic lies were, no, these were not good. It was calling the things that God called good and saying, these are evil, these are bad. And Satan does that. The enemy does that in our life. There are things that God says are good. God says children are a blessing from God. God says that your spouse is God's gift to you. We read in the book of Ephesians, right, that each one of us is, has spiritual gifts, that each one of you are gifts to the body. Your neighbor sitting next to you in church, the person across the way, is a gift that God has given to you, including the ones that, that are hard to get to know, the ones that you don't automatically mesh with. They are God's gift to you, God's gift to the body. We give Satan a foothold when we don't confess that is true. When we don't say, God, your works are great. Your work in that brother or sister is great. So let's do battle with the enemy. And we do that through praise. I praise you, God, for this thing that's hard in my life right now because I know you are working it for my good. I know it is a gift from you. And third, praise prophesies victory. Look at this in verse 10 and 11. But you have exalted my horn like that of the wild ox. You have poured over me fresh oil. My eyes have seen the downfall of my enemies. My ears have heard the doom of my evil assailants. Right? So there's this picture of the wild ox, this idea of, of just being lifted up in honor on the throne. And, and look at the difference. So in verse 7 through 9, He's talking about these enemies of God and his enemies as, as the, the, probably the king, right? He's looking out at the enemies. And they're flourishing. And he, and he said, okay, God, I know that they will perish in the end. I believe that. That will happen. Right now they're flourishing. But then in verse 11, 
He says, my eyes have seen the downfall of my enemies. My ears have heard the doom of these evil assailants. What, what changed between right, that second stanza and this third one? I think the difference there, I think what's happening, is that verse 11 looks out at the future through the eyes of faith and prophetically sings this reality into the present situation. Right? We have heard and seen the downfall of our spiritual enemies through the promises of God. And when we sing and pray the prophetic scriptures, we participate in the fulfillment of them. Right? The Psalms are not just prayers of people offered to God, right? The, the New Testament quotes the Psalms more than any other book in the Bible. And they're often prophecies that are being fulfilled in the New Testament through Christ and through the church. And so this is prophetic literature. They speak of what God will do, the victory that he will accomplish. And so when we pray and sing these prophecies of God's word, God delights to bring the future promise that they speak of into the present reality. This is powerful, okay? But I want, I want to get concrete, okay? So you know what I'm talking about. Just an example, what it might look like. Psalm 67, one of my favorite psalms. It says, let the peoples praise you, O God. Let the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. Okay, that's a prayer, right? That's a song that expresses our desire. God, would you do this? But you know what? That will actually happen. There will come a day when the nations will be gathered in and there will be representatives for every tribe and tongue and people and they will be worshiping Jesus. This is prophetic. God will accomplish it. But we have a part to play in it, don't we? Both in our prayers. Luke 10, 2, right? Jesus says, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest field. Matthew 24, 14 says, this gospel of the kingdom will be preached to all nations and then the end will come. We take part through our prayers, through our witness in the fulfillment of Psalm 67. So here's the application for you, perhaps. If there's an area in your life that you have been seeking breakthrough, maybe even for years, but you just, you keep getting closed doors and brick walls. You're seeking breakthrough. I'd encourage you to find out what God's word says about that area in your life that you're struggling with and begin to pray those scriptures and pray them knowing that they communicate the very heart of God. Okay? I'm not talking name it and claim it. Okay? That, that, that's not where we're going. And don't just automatically put that in this category, okay? But what I'm saying is the scriptures prophetically speak into our situations. They communicate the heart of God. And when we pray them, we align our hearts to him. And God loves to bring breakthrough in our life through that. And finally, I'm going to close in this last point. Praise perseveres faith. Look in verse 12 in this final stanza. Maybe you're noticing some of that Hebrew poetry. It repeats the same idea twice, right? 
in different words. The righteous flourish like the palm tree and grow like a cedar in Lebanon. They are planted in the house of the Lord. They flourish in the courts of our God. They still bear fruit in old age. They are ever full of sap and green to declare that the Lord is upright. He is my rock and there is no unrighteousness in him. So praise perseveres faith. And I am so thankful that we have older saints in our congregation that have persevered in faith, that I can look at the psalm and look at their lives and say, this, I know this is true because I, I've met you and I've seen your life. So we see here, right, that one of the results of praise in our lives is that we will still bear fruit in our old age. And we'll still be full of life and vigor in our spirits, even when our bodies grow old. And we see that the righteous in this passage are people, it says, who are planted in the house of the Lord. So here's that image of cultivation, right? It is in the community of praise that they have grown up and matured. And because the soil of God's house is full of nourishment, it leads to a life that declares the greatness of God and perseveres until the end. We see here that a mouth that praises God, right? Verse 1, will overflow and result in a life that praises God in the end. You see the difference, right? They still bear fruit in old age. They are ever full of sap and green to declare the Lord is upright. Verse 1, they're speaking and singing their praises to God. Verse 15, their very lives declare God's praise. So how specifically does a life of praise lived among a community of worship sustain us through the many trials and challenges of life? And how does it lead us out into mission? How do we become people like this? For us young people, right? How do we look out and say, I I want to be like that when I'm old? Well, It says, grow up, be cultivated in the house of God. Be cultivated in that community of worship. I'm going to end on a quote by a guy named James Smith. And he's written a lot in recent years about the transformative power of worship. So listen together, listen how he ties together the worship of the church gathered with the mission and the lifestyle lived out of the church scattered into the world, okay? So we we talk about, we might say, worship is not just what we do in church and sing. Yes, that's true. Worship is a life lived. But you know what? They must go hand in hand. So listen to this. It says, throughout the course of its history, the church has always understood worship as more than an expression. Our younger generation has focused on that, the value of expression in worship. As you talk about joy, Expression is important, but it's not just that or not even primarily that. Christian worship is also a formative practice precisely because worship is also in a downward encounter in which God is the primary actor. The expression part of worship is us expressing to God. Upward, the downward is God communicating and working in us. Worship isn't just something we do, it does something to us. Worship is a space where we are nourished by word and sacrament. 
We eat the word and eat the bread that is the word of life. There is a logic to the shape of intentional historic Christian worship that performs the gospel over and over again as a way to form and reform our habits. If we fail to immerse ourselves in sacramental, transformative worship, we will not be adequately formed to be ambassadors of Christ's redemption in and for the world. And listen to this last line. If all of life is going to be worship, the sanctuary is the place where we learn how. And these that have flourished even to their old age have learned it in a community of worship. The saints that are strong and full of life have been planted in the church of God and they practice the rhythms of praise in their life. So praise is so good for us. Right? It cultivates joy. It combats lies. It prophesies victory and breakthrough. And it perseveres our faith. So let's be a people that are marked by that. Let's be a community that says, hey, I wanna, this is where I want to be planted. This is where I want to grow together with God's people. And it's through Jesus, right? He's done that. He is the one that he gave his life, that he, he, he lived the life that we should have lived. He died the death that we should have died. And, and he's put a song in our, in our mouths to sing. Let's pray together. Jesus, it is good to sing praises to you. Every tongue will confess, every knee will bow that you are Lord. We were made for praise. And you've called us to, to live our life out on mission in the world, uh, loving and laying our lives down for uh, the people you have put in our life. And yet, we're not good at it. Our hearts are, can be bottled up. Our, our lives can be inconsistent. And so we need training. We need to be taught. So teach these lisping tongues to sing. Help us, Lord. Help us to, to praise you this morning and to praise you with our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We desire to be formed by the Word of God in community. If you have questions about this week's sermon, we would love to hear from you. For more information about our church, please visit centralbible.church.